0: Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Uh, today, we're beginning a brand new series. We've just come out of a season. Uh, where we celebrated five years of ministry as a church last weekend. It was an awesome weekend, uh, a special message last weekend, and we were in a series for seven weeks before that that we called Fresh. And if you have been a part of our church for any time at all, uh, you know that typically uh, I am a, uh, what you would call a burden uh, preacher. And so God puts a burden or a topic or an idea and says, hey, this needs to be taught on, this needs to be uh, communicated, and and then I'll begin to build around that what it is that God wants to speak. And uh, the burden is going to look a little bit different for the next six weeks because the burden that God has put on my heart is to take you through a book of the Bible over the next six weeks. And so from now until the end of October, we're in a six-week series on the book of Ephesians. And here's... here's the the thing that we're asking you to do as we go through this series and we're going to go through and and pull out some truth and how this applies to our lives and what we need to do with it but here's what we want you to do and what I want to challenge you with as we're going through this series six weeks I want you to read through the entire book of Ephesians every week for six weeks and here's what I think that's going to do for you not only are we going to be talking about it on Sundays but you're going to get the most out of it and the Holy Spirit is going to reveal some things to you as you continue to read and understand his word and so we're asking you to do that and I've got great news for you great news there are six chapters come on if you don't know this there are six chapters in the book of Ephesians okay that's why we're in a six-week series and so this is awesome listen on Monday read chapter one (laughs) on tuesday read chapter two right you can do that monday through saturday that will you'll read through the entire book of ephesians come to church on sunday we're going to talk about a specific chapter and then just repeat that process for the next six weeks and see what god will do in your heart and in your life as you get in his word and we go through this together so uh it's going to look a little bit different than what you're probably used to but man we just felt like this was such an important thing for us to uh incorporate and this probably won't be the last time that we do it honestly Um, But we just want to kind of talk through this and what it is that God says in His Word, specifically through this book of the Bible. So Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And before we do that, we won't do this probably every week, but before we do that, uh, I want to give you some background, some context, so that you can understand uh, some detail about the book of Ephesians before we start talking about the book of Ephesians. So the first thing that I think that you need to know, the first question that we probably need to answer that you may or may not know, is who wrote Ephesians. Well, if you read the first few verses of this book of Ephesians, you will discover who it is from, who wrote it, and his name is Paul, and this is what it says in verses 1 and 2. He says, this letter is from Paul. There you go. Chosen by the will. Come on, you can read God's word and you can understand it, right? Verse 1, this letter is from Paul. Uh, Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And so we know that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. And, uh, I, and then the next question that I thought would be important for us to, to answer is, why was this letter written? Why was this what we would call a book, but it's really a letter, that was written to a group of believers uh, in this area in uh and if you read through so uh if you read through the book of acts you'll discover how the church began and the, and the first church and Everything that, that God was doing as he birthed the church and was you know reaching new people and they're finding new believers and they're preaching the gospel everywhere that they go. And then it gets into the life of Paul and you see how Paul is converted from being a Christian killer to actually a Christian himself. And then it goes into the ministry of Paul and all of these places. And what Paul would do is he would travel on these missionary journeys and he would stop at this city and spend time there and stop at this city and spend time there it would be like if you were going to drive to Paris and you were going to spend a year or two here and just kind of establish a work and then you were going to drive to Sulphur Springs and you were going to spend a year or two there and get in the culture and establish a work this is what Paul was doing and one of the places that he stopped at was a city named Ephesus and so he stops at this city And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll find that that a lot of these places that Paul would stop at, and you read what happened in the book of Acts, he later wrote a letter. And so you have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and all of these letters that were written to groups of believers where something had been started and then maybe they've written something to ask a question or or address something and he's writing back or he's writing to encourage them or all of these different things. And so that's what is going on in Ephesians. And so uh, we know that uh, according to Acts 18-19 that Paul, he stops in Ephesus. And you need to know that Ephesus... Uh, was a center for pagan worship where people were living for themselves. Come on, does that sound familiar to anybody else besides me? It was a place that Paul stops at, and this is there it's pagan worship they're only living for themselves. Listen, and you're thinking here today like well, we live in America, and so we're not pagan you know we 're not pagan worshipers up. Uh, there are some of us that worship our career. There are some of us that worship comfort. there are some of us that worship TV. There are some of us that we're, like, we're worshiping things that are not God. We're worshiping material things. For some of us, it's more important what we have than it is who we know. And so this is a place that I think we can relate to. And Paul stops off, and it's this place where they're not worshiping God, and they haven't really heard about God or what Jesus has done for them. And so while he's there, he goes into the synagogue, And he debates and he reasons with some of these Jews. And this appears to be the beginning of the church in Ephesus. And so then, you know, Paul later returns. So he leaves and then he comes back a little bit later. And this time we know that he goes there. And according to Acts 20 and verse 31, we know that he spends three years there. So he, he has kind of started something there, stirred something up. He comes back, and he's going to stay with him for three years. And while he's there during those three years, uh, some of the things that we see that happened, if you look at Acts chapter 19, and I just want to go through this really quickly, but Uh, In the first seven verses, we see that Paul baptizes 12 believers and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before in other messages. This is the instance where Paul shows up and he sees, hey, here are some believers, here are some disciples. And he goes to them and he says, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And their response is, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul says, well, you need to hear and so they get baptized, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that in verses 8-10, through 10, Paul is preaching and reasoning with people in the synagogue for three months. And then he's holding daily discussions for two years on what Jesus did in the gospel. And he is establishing something. And I began to think about this, that every single day for two years, This is such an important thing that these people need to know and be grounded in that he is spending this much time. And I begin to think to myself, how often do we give up too soon? And Paul is here trying to establish something, and for two years, they're meeting together. For two years, every day, let's get together and let's discuss some more. Let's get together and let's learn some more. Let's get together and let's go deeper in this today. And for two years, he's doing that, and many of us get frustrated after two months and we've been investing in somebody for two months, and we're like, they're not getting it. (laughs) I'm moving on. (laughs) And for two years, daily, they're getting together, and they're talking about God's word, and he's teaching them. And we see in the next few verses that God is healing people through Paul, and that that People are trying to cast out evil spirits. Come on, you should read your Bible. Your Bible is so good. People are trying to cast out evil spirits, and these spirits look at these people, and they're like, we know Jesus, and we know Paul, but who are you? Right? I mean, they're like, we're trying to, we're like, well, we don't really understand it. We don't really get it. We've seen Paul do some of this stuff, so we're like, can we do this? And we're like, in the name of Paul. And they're like, we know who Jesus is, and we know who Paul is, but we don't know who you are. And they're like, you know, see ya. And Paul's doing all these amazing things, like God's working through Paul in these ways. And then we see people who were practicing magic. They were converted. About the last 20 verses or so of Acts chapter 19, there's a riot, you know, that's talked about because of Paul's reputation. And so the city's like in uproar because of everything that's been going on and what Paul has been doing and trying to establish and how he's been communicating to these people and gathering them together daily. And so we see that... That this is kind of what coincides with him writing this letter. He's done this work and he's began this thing, and now he's writing a letter back to them after he's gone later on. And so we know that Ephesians was written. So when was Ephesians written? Uh, we know that it was somewhere around AD 60 to 62. So about 30 years after Jesus has died and he's gone back to he's rose from the dead and he's gone back to heaven. About 30 years later, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, Paul is writing this letter. Uh, to this church, to these believers. And so, uh, what is Ephesians about? And I just wanted to put this in the simplest terms, and then we're going to jump into chapter 1 and talk about a few things. But uh, if, if I was to tell you today, uh, in simplest terms, what Ephesians is about, here's how I think I would put it. It's about who we are, what we were meant for, and how to live it out. Paul is writing to these believers, and he says, here's who you are, here's what you were meant for, and here's how you live it out. Here's what it looks like practically. And so as we go through this series, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about who we are, what we were meant for, and how do we live it out. Because that's what Paul was writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to these believers and to us today. Like, hey, here's who you are, here's what you were meant for, and here's how you live it out. And so the first half of Ephesians, it kind of fixes our eyes on heaven's blessings and who we are. It's really a focus on perspective. And one statement that I read, it said this about the book of Ephesians, about the first half of it really, that sometimes you need to climb a mountain so that you can see how small your problems really are. And the first half of Ephesians is almost like climbing a mountain. It's like getting on the top, it's like the mountain peak and you're up here and you get a completely new perspective on your problems and your life and people around you and what's going on in the world and who you are and what you were meant for and how to live it out. It's like getting a new perspective. And then the second half of Ephesians, <clears throat> it shows us the responsibilities that we have in light of everything that we've just been told. So we're kind of going up on the mountain to see like God's perspective, God's point of view, like, hey, this is, this is who you are, this is what you were meant for. And then in the second half of this letter, he's like, okay, in light of everything that I've just told you, now here's, some respons- here's how you live this out. Here's some responsibilities. Here's some things that you need to, to live out in your life. In light of all this. And so uh, we're going to, for the rest of our time today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. And, uh, and I want to focus in on just a few things that I believe are important for us to understand. And really wrap our minds around um, as we look at the first chapter in Ephesians. So here's the first thing. I want to talk to you about what God has done for us. What God has done for us. Because Paul is writing, and in the very first part of Ephesians chapter 1, he is reminding us what God has done. That, hey, this is what God has done for you. And so let's read. We're going to look at verse 3 and read through verse 8 in Ephesians 1. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And so Paul begins with praise to God because of how he has blessed us. Now it's important that you know there are two Greek words Uh, for blessed in the new testament and so one of them means happy or prosperous but that's not this word he's reminding these believers and he says this is the word that he uses it's a word that means to speak well of so he is saying hey we are i am praising god for you god has spoken well of you there is a good thing happening here and we would like for it to say like Well, because when we think about blessing, don't we get it confused sometimes? And we think about blessing, and and God has blessed us, and Paul says, hey, praise be to God because of the blessings that you've received. But a lot of times we think of blessing as like material things, monetary things, and that is the case sometimes. But more times than not, we are blessed in ways that we don't even have the perspective and the mindset to see that, wow, that was a blessing. Wow, God was just doing something in my life, and that's how he was blessing me. And so God has spoken well of us. And so here are uh, just a few important truths regarding this topic as we're talking about what God has done for us from Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to tie in some other scripture as we go through this and to help us kind of wrap our minds around it and understand it a little bit better. But I want to talk about just a few things along these lines of what Paul says. He says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Somebody say every. With every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. When we get to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's talking about in in that chapter that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So it's almost like he takes it even a step farther. But we we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And this is an incredible truth because here's what this means. You're in two places at once. Anybody ever been in two places at once? The only, the only place that I know of that I've ever been to where you can be in two places at once, I believe is in Texarkana, and I can't remember what. I think it's like Line Road or something like that. And you can actually stand in one spot, and you can be in Arkansas and Texas at the same time. And it's like, woo! isn't this awesome? Come on, we're there. We stopped there with our kids on the way back from vacation, I think it was a year or two ago. And, and we're like, isn't this so cool? Like we're in two places at once. Did you know if you are a believer in Jesus Christ that you're in two places at once? That you are here, but you are seated there. You are physically here, but you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. And here's the reality, is that God wants our position in the heavenly places to dictate our activity on the earth. So if you don't understand that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, then you won't have the perspective that, hey, God wants that position to actually dictate what I do while I'm here. And many of us are just living our lives here as if there's no connection to there. But Paul says, hey, you have been blessed with everything. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. You are in two places at once. You need to allow your position there to dictate how you live your life here. I can remember... uh, An example of this just from our own family, and maybe you've done this as well. I can remember times when we've dropped our kids off places. Anybody have kids? And you've taken your kids somewhere. You take them to school. You take them to a friend's house. You take them to a birthday party or something. And here's what we say a lot of times as our kids are getting out of the vehicle or we're taking them, we're like, hey, you need to remember you're a Miller. And because you're a Miller, you need to act like a Miller even when we're not here. (laughs) Right? Anybody some of y'all are like I tell my husband that every time he leaves, to go hang out with this prayer like you need to remember who you're married to, and everything that you do is going to reflect me, right? This is this is in essence what's happening right here in what Paul's writing. He said, You need to remember who you are. And your position that God has God has placed you in needs to dictate how you live your life. How you how you live and how you operate while you're on earth. The second thing that I think is so cool about this is that God, has, God loved us before the world was made. And not only did God love you before the world was made, God demonstrated. Come on, you ever read this verse? Romans, I believe, what is it? Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It says that God demonstrated or God showed or God proved, you know, depending on what, what translation you're reading. But it says that but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Is anybody thankful to know that you didn't have to get it together before God sent Jesus to come die for you? Like, you didn't have to have it all figured out. Sometimes we have the wrong perspective, and there there are some people that won't even come to church. Like, well, I want to come to church, but I'm not going to come to church until, you know, I I just got to get some things sorted out. And I'm like, no. (laughs) You need to come to Jesus, and then Jesus is who helps you sort all that stuff out. If you're trying to sort all that stuff out on your own, you're going to fall right back into it. You got to get in relationship with Jesus so that he can help you sort all of that stuff out. The next thing is that God chose us before the world was made. And and that spiritual blessings, these spiritual blessings that we've been blessed with, they're accessible to us because God has chosen us. That's how you have access to this. It's because God said, I want them, I choose them, they need to put their faith in Jesus, and when they do, I'm going to give them access to all of these things. They're going to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We also see, you know, Paul's telling us, he says, God has adopted us into his family. Come on, you've been adopted as a son or a daughter of God. God has poured out his grace on us. And we know that Paul would later tell us, you know, in another letter, he would tell us uh, about God's grace being all that we need, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, Paul's experiencing something, and it doesn't tell us what it is, but there's something that Paul doesn't like, and he wants God to take it away. And he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time, here was the Lord's response. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Listen, Paul says that God has poured out his grace on you. And his grace is all you need. For everything you face, it's all you need. Well, but you don't understand, like, it has been a hard, hard week. Yep, God's grace is all you need. It has been so difficult, I don't even know if we're going to make it. Yep, God's grace is all you need. Well, I just want him to get me out of this situation. I just want him to like transplant me from here to here so that I don't have to walk through it. Yep, and God's grace is all you need. He has poured out his grace on us. We see that God purchased our freedom with the blood of Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us in verses 19 and 20, it says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You don't belong to you. You don't belong to you. Now I'm not going to get off into some cultural stuff right now. I'm just going to stick with what the Word of God says because we don't have time for that. But you don't belong to you. You belong to God, and he paid a high, high, high price for you. He bought your freedom with the blood of his son. He sent Jesus to die for you before you were ever even born. While you were still a sinner, God said, I'm sending Jesus so that they can receive this, and if they'll choose to receive this, then it's going to change their life forever, and I have all this that I want to give them and bless them with. We see that God forgave our sins. Hebrews 2, 17, I love this. It says, Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, talking about Jesus, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Listen, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice to take away your sin. And Paul is writing and he says, Hey, you have forgiveness is there for you. You just have to receive it. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done for you to be forgiven. You just have to receive it. And the last thing that we'll talk about, and then we'll move on to the next point, that God gives us kindness, he gives us wisdom, and he gives us understanding. And it's amazing to me that Paul starts off this letter in this way. He says, hey, I'm the one writing this, and here's what you need to know. Here's what God has done for you. Before we move on to anything else, he's like, here's what you need to know. This is what God has done for you. This is what God has given you through what he did by sending Jesus to die for you. And then here's the second thing that I want to focus on for just a few minutes. Is that we have been sealed. We have been sealed. God has put his seal on you as a believer. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've received Christ, you have been sealed. And I want to start in verse 9 and we'll read through verse 14. For this point, it says that God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything under together under the authority of G, of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan." God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, look at it, he identified you as his own. Some translations say he stamped you with the seal by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee. Somebody say guarantee. That he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. In Bible times, and really, even in today's time, the seal is a big deal. And so in Bible times, it marked a finished transaction or it showed ownership or it it ensured security. And Paul says, God has given you, when you placed your faith in Jesus, he gave you the Holy Spirit as a seal. He stamped you. This one's mine. He put his stamp on you and said, now they belong to me. Now this is my son. Now this is my daughter. He has given you the Holy Spirit as the guarantee. He has stamped you. And I was thinking about just recently in our own lives, we've been doing some paperwork for uh, for, for all of our kids, but especially our youngest. And uh, it's that kind of paperwork that, you know, she's about to be four, our youngest is about to be four, and it's like, this has taken four years. Why well, is this taking four years, right? And it's like you send one thing in, you get another thing back, that you need something else. And so we had sent some stuff in, and, and we got a packet back in the mail, you know, a couple months later. And this is what they were asking for. They said, hey, here's what we need. You know, you're almost done, but here's what we need. We need the, the original birth certificate for this child, the one that has the official state seal. Now, why would they want the one that has the official state seal? Because it is the one that proves that this child is who this child is and that they belong, listen to me, to the two people that are listed on this birth certificate. It's been sealed. Think about about your marriage, right? Just because you have a ceremony does not mean that you're married. You have to have a, there is a document, it's called a marriage license or a marriage certificate, and it has to be stamped and sealed and filed for it, to be offic- for it to be recognized as the real thing. God has sealed you to say, this is the real thing. They have placed their faith in Jesus. They have believed what he has done for them. They have confessed him as Lord and Savior of their life. This one's mine. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He said, Here is the Holy Spirit. I am sealing you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come on, isn't that good news? Yes. The seal on us as believers, it is the Holy Spirit. And I like this the Spirit is the deposit or the down payment guaranteeing your inheritance to come. He said, It's guaranteed. What I have planned for you, I've stamped you, and it's guaranteed. We've been sealed. Here's the next thing that I want us to to notice today is that uh, just this phrase, opening our eyes. And we can even say opening, some translations of what we're about to read say, the eyes of our heart. So not necessarily your physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart. That God wants our eyes to be opened. So verses 15 through 21, it says this. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, and then here's what he prays. He says, I am praying for you all the time, and here's what I'm praying. I'm asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Or some translations say that the eyes of your heart would be opened. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you can see some things so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Paul says, hey, you're a believer, I'm praying for you all the time, and here's what I want for you. Three things specifically. Then he says, I'm praying that you would understand and you would be able to see that the eyes of your heart would be able to see these three things. The first one is the hope to which he has called you. And I want to read, we're going to look at verses 18 and 19 just a little bit more in depth. But I want to read uh, this from the Amplified Bible because it gives us uh, some additional uh, words and parentheses and things that define the words that were used. And so it gives us a little bit better understanding of this. He says, and I pray that the eyes of your heart the very center and core of your being may be enlightened or flooded with light by the Holy Spirit so that you will know and cherish the hope which is the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you. He says, I want the eyes of your heart to be opened so that you are not living in discouragement and that you don't understand the hope that you have. I want you to have confident expectation that there is a hope. You have been called to hope, not called to discouragement, not called to looking around and feeling hopeless. He says, I want you to understand when you have put your faith in Jesus and you are a believer and you have been sealed, here's what I'm praying for you. I am praying that the eyes of your heart will be opened so that you can see these things. You can see this hope to which he has called you. The second thing is the riches of his glorious inheritance. In verse 18, the second half, it says it in that way, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, which is God's people. He says, I want you to be able to see what God has done for you and what God has for you and that you are, not not only are you going to receive an inheritance, but you are an inheritance. That God has brought you to Himself, that He has chosen you, you have placed your faith in Jesus, and because of that, now you are His people. You are His people. God wants the eyes of our heart to be open so that we can see how much He loves us and what He has planned for us. Now, I want to bring the worship team back, and the last thing that Paul is praying for, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart being open. And he talks about his great power for us who believe. Look at verse 19 again. And so that you will begin to know what the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his active spiritual power is in us who believe. It is in us. God wants the eyes of our heart to be open so that we can see this surpassing power that God has put in you. In you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Listen, you have got to get this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. You are not helpless you have the same power that raised jesus from the dead on the inside of you but too many of us are not activating it we are not acting like we have the same power that raised christ from the dead living in us but you do and paul says i am praying for you you are a believer you are a follower of jesus i am praying for you that the eyes of your heart would be open so that you would be able to see and understand this power that is inside of you. Here's what, here's what that means to me. And what it means for you. No matter what power comes against you, God's power is greater. No matter what power comes against you, God's power, the power that he has put inside of you is greater. It's greater. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The power that is on the inside of you is greater than any power anything that will ever happen to you in your entire life. Come on, that is good news. Somebody needs to say amen right there. That God has put his power inside of you so that there is no power that is greater than the power that he has given you and put inside of you when you put your faith in Jesus. And he, what, he says, I'm praying that you will get it. That you will see it. That you are called to hope. That this power is in you. It's in you. And then here's how chapter 1 ends and where we're going to end today. Verses 22 and 23, it says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Isn't it good news that Jesus has all authority and that we are made complete only in him? That's good news today. And here's, here's what I felt like the Lord was saying to me. That There are many of us, come on, you ever ever ran the thought through your mind that we're to be submitted, like Jesus is the head of the church and we are the body, and we're to be submitted to his authority and submitted to, to his plan and submitted to his will? Doesn't it change the way that you think about that? Because many of us struggle with submission. We think we have a better plan. But doesn't it change the way that you think about submission when God has told us that, hey, I have placed everything under the authority of Jesus for the benefit of the church. Guess who the church is? You. Me. For your benefit, I gave Jesus all the authority. Why would we not submit to him? Why would we not pick up our cross daily and follow him? Because he has all authority, everything you need. He has all the authority. And God said, I did this for your benefit. It was for you and for me that he said, I have placed everything under the authority of Jesus for the benefit of the church, and we are made complete in him. Will you stand to your feet today? So, what do we know? We're going to put these on the screen and probably do something like this maybe every single week. I don't know. But what do we know? We know that God has given us everything we need as believers. We know that God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit to show we are His as believers. We, we know that God wants our eyes to be open so that we can see who we are and what we have in Him. And we know that God wants us to know that Jesus has all authority and we are made complete only in Him. And man, when we say we're submitting to following Jesus, we're saying I'm submitting to the one who has all authority for my benefit. And I'm going to follow Him. I'm not going this way, I'm going that way. I'm going to follow after Jesus in everything that I do and here's something and I want to end in this way and then we're going to pray and sing this song and here's something that I think is maybe maybe the most important thing that you need to know today or that you need to understand as we begin this series and we start going through the book of Ephesians together is that Ephesians was written to believers so so here's the news if you want in on what God has said You have to believe. You you have to believe. This was written to the believers in this area. And it was written to us today, those who would believe. God says, when you believe, this is what I've done for you. When you believe, this is what you can have. When you believe, this is what you can begin to understand. When you believe, this is what you get access to. But it only comes. Listen, you can't earn it. You can't do anything to get it other than believe. Believe. And so what I want to do, if our prayer team will come down today, we're going to have an opportunity as we do every single week to pray at the end of the service as we sing this final worship song. But here's, I I have two invitations today. I got two cards I'm handing you today. The first one is, is what we do every single week that, that you have an opportunity during this song, if you need prayer for anything in your life, anything in your life, we want to agree with you. We want to pray with you. We want to stand with you. We, we want to pray for you. And so if you need prayer, you got a financial need, you got a marriage need, you have a, a, a need with a child or something going on at work, or whatever it is, and you just say, you know what? I need somebody to pray with me today. I need somebody to encourage me today. I need somebody to believe with me today. Then when the worship team begins to sing this song, you just slip right out. Come on, don't let pride... We're not a, we don't need to be a prideful church. Don't let pride keep you at your seat. No, everybody needs prayer at different times. So if you need prayer, you just slip out of your seat. You come down, you just let somebody pray with you and encourage you and believe with you and stand with you in what it is that you're needing for, for God to do in your life. But here's the second thing. If you're here today and you've never, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never accepted him as Lord and Savior of your life, you've never confessed him as Lord and Savior of your life and believed on him, then I believe today's your day. But we're going to do it a little bit differently than what we've done in the past. Because if that's you, when the worship team begins to sing, I want you to just simply slip out of your seat, and I want you to come down and find somebody down here at the front, and you're just going to tell, you just tell them, "Today's my day." I want, I want everything that we're about to talk about and everything that God has given us everything that God has done everything God has provided like I want to be sealed I want to know that I know I I want to surrender my life to Jesus I've been living for myself and today I repent and I'm no longer going to live for me I want to live for him and so that invitation is open for you today to where you can slip out during this song and you just say hey today's my day will you pray with me will you lead me Will you show me what to do? And we want to do that. We want to do that. So Lord, today we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity to better understand and, and be able to communicate what it is that you're saying to your people. Lord, I pray for those who have any need today, Lord, that you would draw them for prayer today and for those specifically who have never surrendered their life to Jesus. But today they know that they know this is, this is their time. This is their opportunity. They, they just They feel you drawing them right now. Lord, I pray that that pride would not hold them back, but, Lord, they would step out. They would receive your forgiveness today, receive what you did for them, confess you as Lord and Savior of their life, and that you would save them today and that they would be stamped, they would be sealed, they would be able to receive the inheritance and everything that you have planned for them. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.